Wow, what a year. Let me take you back to New Year. We often talk about the year to come uh, at our church. And one of the things that we've often thought about is that we might have plans, we might have expectations, we might have things that we're expecting the year to bring. Um, but very often it doesn't work out the way we expect. Nothing could have prepared us, I don't think, for this year. So when we get into these situations, I think we've, we're faced with some really big questions. How do we cope with life that doesn't turn, turn out the way we planned? Where's our security? And if you do or if you don't share a faith in Jesus, we still have to reconcile that uncertainty with either how we cope with life without Jesus Christ or how we actually reconcile an insecure life with faith in him. I think this passage that we're looking at this afternoon has got so much to speak uh, in helping us come to terms with that. The first thing that we might see jumping out at us is that Paul, it seems, follows a different path. Paul is the most surprising proclaimer of the message of Jesus. His early life, and when he first started to hear of the message of Jesus, he became a violent persecutor of everybody who believed. And then his life is dramatically changed so that the one who was the persecutor becomes the one who is persecuted. And he then lives his life shaped by what he now believes. Look at the different route and the different way in which he he understands what life shaped and guided by Jesus is. Verse 12 says this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Do you see that? He's saying that God has opened a door for me to go to Troas. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went to Macedonia. I think that's remarkable what Paul says there. He's saying, you know, I understand that it's God who's opening up doorways for me in different places, in different situations. But I get there and I haven't got any peace because I'm looking specifically uh, for Titus. So I leave and I go to Macedonia. Now, I don't know about you, but what shapes your decisions in life? Because there seems to be a conflict for those who want to live according to God's will in the direction of our life. But Paul doesn't seem to be so worried about that. He seems to say, I see that God's opened up a door, but when I get there, I don't have peace of mind. So I move on. How, how does he cope with, how does he reconcile that? God's opened the door. You, wouldn't you think that if God's opened a door, then you stay where God's opened the door? How does Paul understand God's guidance in his life? I think what he's come to terms with is that living his Christian faith, living faith in God, means that 
his security is where he is now rather than being worried all the time about whether he's making the right decision here, the right decision there. He's more interested in living in the pathway that he currently is than trying to understand the pathway that he should go down. We can see that as we come to the next verse in, in verse 14. He says, I'm going to try to find Titus, I go to Troas, I move on to Macedonia. But in all of that, I give thanks to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's amazing. He's saying, look, we often think, don't we, trying to understand our faith in Jesus. We often think that I've got to be in God's will and understand whether to move here or whether to move there, whether to do this or whether to do that. And he's saying, actually, I realize that it's not me at the head of the walk here with God behind me, and I've got to try to understand where to go. He's saying, Jesus Christ is at the front of the procession, and I'm following him. And so my life, the shape of my life, the purpose of my life has been wherever I am, whatever situation I'm in, is to spread the aroma, this beautiful aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. The purpose of his life has become shaped by his desire, no matter where he is, whether he's working, making tents, whether he's building a church in one place or another, whatever he's doing, his purpose in life is to be this aroma of Jesus. See what that opens up for us if we come to terms with that. It's this, we can't go wrong in the directions that we choose. If our heart is, our conscience is clear in why we're making certain decisions, we can't go wrong. Because actually wherever we are, we're then called to live this life of being this pleasing aroma, as he says in verse 16. He says, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among you. Some who are being saved by that pleasing aroma and some who are perishing. Because when we come to terms with this message of Jesus, we realize that it, it confronts us. It challenges us and it says, where are you in relation to this message? Because you, you realize that you are, you are un, unacceptable to God. And when we realize our unacceptability, we then come to terms with the fact that he becomes our acceptableness to God. It's a really vivid picture, I think. You've probably seen the video ideas of how this terrible virus is, is being spread with these cough droplets kind of wafting out. What Paul's saying is the message of the good news of Jesus is a beautiful thing like that. It 
it spreads around or I want it to spread around wherever I am. It's a message that brings hope. It's a message that brings true life as our conscience is awakened and we realize our need of hope in Jesus. The next bit couldn't probably be more relevant than many of the you know, so many parts of the every every part of the Bible is relevant, but this next few verses speaks into our culture so incredibly powerfully. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. I don't know about you, I don't know whether you're listening in this country or maybe another country, or maybe you've picked this video up um, after the event rather than live. You might be looking at some of the scandals that have gone on in the name of Jesus and the, the financial scandals, the high profile, horrific financial abuse of supposed Christian leaders. And you might say, I don't want anything to do with that. Do you know what? Paul agrees with you. The Bible agrees with you. Don't have anything to do with that. He's saying, I'm not in it for the money. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as, so, as those sent from God. That's a huge calling, isn't it? When we realize that every time we speak about the Bible, every time we share time together, every time we we gather together in church like this, our task is to point everybody to God in Jesus Christ, to speak about him. I, I, that doesn't mean that we don't share human concerns about month on month, month financially, how we're going to maintain Christ church. Of course we do. We've got faith that God will sustain it. But this isn't all about the money. Our heart, our desire is that you would know Jesus. Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to, to you or from you? He's saying, I've got a right, I want to share the message of Jesus with you. And you might want to understand what authority I've got to do that. He's saying, don't look at me. Look at your own hearts. It has been such a privilege over the years of Christchurch to see so many people who've come to faith in Jesus. And the commendation that we bring is not what we're saying, but what has gone on in the hearts of so many people at Christchurch. We are so thankful for that. Do you see what he's saying is this? It's not about us. It's about what Jesus has done. Look at verse 3, uh, chapter 3. You show that you are a letter from Christ. You're the letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets 
of human hearts. You've been saved. You've come to find true life. You've come to find true hope, which is not the words of a human being, but it's what God has done in your heart. And it helps us to realise that no matter the way life unfolds, no matter what situations emerge, we can have a confidence that, that the God who we trust in is not somewhere behind us, shoving us from behind, hoping that we'll make the right decision here or there, hoping that we'll be able to cope with a lockdown, hoping that we'll be able to cope with the desperate situations of loss that some of us have experienced. He's not behind us, he's at the front. We're following him, he's already at the head of this procession. What is Jesus doing right now in this current situation? He is through his people, through the church, sharing the aroma of the good news of him. I don't know how you've ended up being here this afternoon. I don't know whether you regularly are part of the church. Normally I look out on a Sunday and I can see all the familiar faces and then new faces. It's great to see new faces and now I can't see anybody. So I don't know who you are as you're listening. But what brought you brought you here this afternoon? How is it that you're here? How is it that you're sharing this time together or maybe watching this video later on? There was an incredible article in The Guardian this morning talking about the impact of online church in our country today. Now, the survey said that more than anything, we would want the Vicar of Dibley to be our minister. So I'm really sorry that I'm not doing French. But another incredible piece of information was this. 25% of adults in the UK have watched a religious service during lockdown. 25%. That's an incredible number. That's way more than would normally be listening to the message of Jesus. 33% of under 30s, under 30 adults, have watched some sort of religious broadcast. You may be one of those unexpected watchers. You might be one of those who are surprised that you're even here today listening to this. I'd want to conclude with two thoughts. Number one, we're not here to commend ourselves. We're here to share the sweet hope of true life, which is Jesus Christ. And secondly, I would want to share that in the middle of this uncertainty, when life isn't working out the way we expected it to, hope in Jesus means that the pathways of life, we can be confident that he is with us, ahead of us, securing the journey 
no matter what that might bring. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to invite Jude and uh, Paul back to join us. Um, and I, I, so I'm going to start that off by saying I think I am given to I'm given to being a little bit more emotional in lockdown, <laughs> pathetically. Um, yeah, I'm well in touch with my emotions at the moment. But that uh, the sermon, Paul. Thank you so much. Just some reflections. Um, I guess from my own heart, we're all. I am always looking for a word of commendation. I don't know if you're watching at home, if that's your story. I am always, I am always uh, looking for that. I'm always looking for somebody to affirm me. I'd love some letters to say this guy's okay, and I, yeah, yeah, that I can just stick out there at any point. Whenever anyone questions me, I can just stick it up on Facebook. No, I'm okay. I'm, a, I'm a good guy, and um, and I guess maybe that's a human thing. We're always looking for that, and yet God, in Jesus Christ, we have, you know, that's our story. We are, we have. Him as our saviour, and he goes before us, and he says he's okay because of what I've done. So that was just that was really nice. Thank you, and thank you to Sharbs. So I, she won't tell you because she's so nice and humble, but she's learnt that song really quickly. And I just are we just I just want to thank you, Sharbs, for singing that song. I think that that will have been helpful to uh, some people at home. Yeah. Okay, uh, thanks for joining us, Paul, and again, and thanks for joining us, Jude. Um, it's okay. So what? Just to pick up one of my observations about Paul, I, I think as I've read over the first couple of chapters of Corinthians, I think I might have even been a little bit disappointed with him. In that, um, I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I grew up with my faith in that there was, you know, stickability was important. You know, you got somebody you can really stick at something. And I see him here moving on, you know, not going back to Corinth. And I see him here, yeah, I'm in Troas, but Titus isn't coming, so I'm going to move on and. Part, part of me is dis disappointed. And then I hear the words of your sermon, Paul, and there's just this reminder that Paul's following a different beat almost. Do you know what I mean? He's he's just in a he's in a he's in a transcendent head space. So sort sort of thing. So his his location doesn't seem to be something that matters as much as well, as much as mine. I don't know about yours. So just on a practical level, I just I just wondered, um it might be nice for people to hear this at home, uh, listening in. How how you or Jude um, got to got to end up uh, where you are, how you are where you are. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you've got two minutes, Paul. Can you? Um, wow. So do you know? Do you know? No, like seriously, how did you? W w did was there a point where faith played a part in it? You know, what was what was the door that opened? Was there any any of those stories that you could share with us, please? You two. Yeah. Well, this this guy in Yorkshire exile from the other side of the Pennines. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, I think if you look at it over life, you realize probably a little bit more um, how God has guided in retrospect. You realize his hand was there when you felt as if you weren't too sure or where you were making decisions that in life, do we always make decisions fully reflective of wanting to honor God probably not and yet he works all of that out and in fact what Paul says in that letter that we've just read he says that he doesn't just say that we're following him it just he doesn't say that Christ is the head of the procession and we're choosing to follow him it's way more powerful the language that he uses he says that we're slaves in the procession 
which is which is so much more powerful than us kind of choosing. And I think that as I reflect over life and and maybe even reflecting on a time moving over here for for work and business reasons and then spending time 15 years, I think it was, in ministry and then maybe moving from a full time back out of that a little bit. It's that it's that confidence that there is a provisionality to where we currently are and a security in where we're headed. I think that's what Paul holds. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he is absolutely rock solid on certain things. <laughs> you know, he's, he's absolutely, he says, I, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. I've, I've reached this finishing line is the language that he uses elsewhere. He says, I've got there. But when, when you look at the things and the decisions that he makes, he's, he's far less concerned about the individual details and he's more concerned about where he's headed and the fact that he's being led in a different way than we shape our lives. Because often, often with us, the critical detail is in, I say it was definitely, definitely me It's where, where I'm, where am I placed and how do I make a living in this place? And yet it does seem like Paul has fairly low regard, you know, it's not, he doesn't dismiss it altogether. You know, he, he writes letters to places, he travels to places, he's got, a, he's got a plan, but at the same time, he holds it below um, the value of, you know, or below other values. Mm-hmm. Jude, in, in your... I'm an, I'm an envy of Paul, I think, because that, although I, I, I see the benefit in that, that's not often been my experience. I've spent most of my adult life going, what should I do? Where should I live? Where should I, where yeah, should I go? You, Are you talking, talking about Paul the Apostle? About Paul in the Apostle. Yeah, Paul the Apostle. Sorry, yeah, that's yeah, confusing, isn't it? Because yeah, I've spent oh. most of my life in exactly the same place. <laughs> so, yes, maybe there's some things in UIM for Paul, but not, not that I want <laughs> not to discuss that. publicly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm envious of Paul the Apostle and that confidence he has. Hmm. Oh, do you know, it doesn't matter. Don't sweat it because often that has absolutely been the sweat of, of my life, just trying to mm. work that out. And mm. I think a lot of it came from like, a, a or comes from a good place, from a desire to want to live a life that pleases mm. God and to want to live a life that is fulfilling and gives back and, you know, all those kind of good, good things. And, but sweating the small detail on it, it, you know, has been my experience. We we had a, a lecturer, Ash and I, at college and he, he used to say, um, to us uh, what have you got in your hand um, and that really helped me with the kind of practical aspects of looking at God's will for us mm. so you know if if you're if you've got skills in your hand already use them for God mm. <laughs> don't worry about mm. the things that you don't have or the you know like but yeah. just there was a kind of level of practicalness that I really appreciated in mm. that what have you got in your hand? How can you serve God with the stuff that you've got in your hand? You know, you, you like, you think of the little kid who had five loaves and two fishes. Mm-hmm. That's what he had. He didn't have any more than that, but yeah. his heart was in a place to give mm-hmm. and to and to serve. And yeah, yeah. yeah, I think use what you've got in your hand and have a heart that's in a place place to serve. Mm-hmm. But that that's been a that's still a struggle. 
and mm. uh, has been a struggle for a long time in my life trying to work out the the different aspects of practicalness and things yeah i think i think at the same time we we've got to recognize paul was an ordinary human being as well and i, I think we get enough evidence that he he writes what is he, there's times when he writes what is true not necessarily what he personally is feeling at the time yeah and that that's important because he it's not his words it's in one sense it's it's god speaking through him and and paul yeah remarkable incredible the way the spirit used paul but he was an ordinary human being as well i'm i'm thankful of that that part where he talks about the mixed emotions feeling downcast but not defeated the fact that he holds those two things together did there's a there's an earthy humanity to him and at the same time there's a kind of solid solid spirituality he's got he's got a, a, a different perspective which he's sharing with us so that we might say hang on a sec let me live in that different perspective which he's pointing me to which is jesus i think it's really, really helpful at the moment because um for loads of us um there's loads of uncertainty about direction there's mm -hmm. and this it's a almost it, i would imagine for lots of households it'd be a question that comes up all the time what when we get out of all you know what will it look like when we mm -hmm. get out of all this what jobs will we be doing yeah what will our you know what will our holidays be like what will the future plans be you know all that's going through our minds and yet there's a really i think there's a real bit of wisdom in here from paul's mindset mm -hmm. who's you know, mm. as he would write later on, he's got contentment here. He's got because because his mindset is not he's not quite so focused on on location. His comfort mm. and his joy comes from the procession mm. that he that he that he's figured out that he's yeah. a part of. Yeah, um, I think he's he's all he's in that place as well, isn't he? Where he he has this bigger perspective. It's sometimes think life is like sitting in the dentist's chair. <laughs> it, it's painful for a short time, but if we see what's beyond kind of no pain, wisdom teeth or whatever it might be, he's got this perspective of eternity is so great, so dramatic, so satisfying mm. that the momentary existence of life in this world is what we are dealing with before that great hope. That that's kind of sounds a bit kind of pie in the sky, doesn't it? But that's that's what the resurrection of Jesus actually says. It's true. I thought you said, go on, Jude, sorry. I, I was thinking about, because I read the passage ahead today, I was thinking about the procession, mm. um, and I, I've, I've kind of lost a little bet with myself, Paul, that you didn't mention Gladiator. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's because, because was... I've preached it before and I didn't no, want to No, just because I know you love the film. And <laughs> I know you love the film. And I was thinking about the procession when the kind of uh, not so great emperor, what's it? Yeah. It's Jacob yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. He Joaquin comes back Phoenix. into Rome and there's that procession and it's like the petals yeah. falling everywhere. Yeah. And it's like yeah. everyone in Rome knows how amazing, do you know, if yeah. it had been a good emperor, how much more amazing would it have been? And that's and exactly that. the picture he's got. That's exactly yeah. what he's got in mind. 
Yeah, to be part of that procession, to know hmm. that you're heading towards Rome and that Rome, yeah. yes, in Rome is a fallen place, but Rome is actually this heavenly city that is just, hmm. everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to belong there. This, there yeah. is, you know, a perfectness about it. And uh, yeah. So, you, so you've raised Gladiator now and <laughs> now you're forcing me to push it on to how incredible you know. that picture of... <laughs> What what Paul's saying is that the captives in the Roman processions, which was a a procession, was a formal thing, returning to Rome with captives, and the captives uh, was it Hadrian who who uh, crucified captives for five miles down the side of the Appian Way on the way into Rome as he returned, uh, and Paul's saying the captives, the the slaves that we are in Jesus are not destined for death like that. We're destined for life. That That is mind-blowing mm. when you take it into the context of first century Rome. And the passage comes alive when you when you hear it through that, through the, yeah. through, or see it through the eyes of Gladiator, doesn't it? Yeah. The, yeah. It becomes more immediate. And I've yeah. said thank you, Russell Crowe, on many occasions. <laughs> So moving, we've had a, a question that's jumped on the screen in front of me. So I'll just read it out verbatim because it's a, it's a really useful one. What does peace of mind look like? Oof. And how can we find out? How can we find it about decisions that we've made? How does Paul's comments on the focusing on the current path apply when thinking about making big decisions? I'll read that out again. What what does peace of mind look like? So you can chunk that bit off and deal with that. And how can we find it about decisions we've made? I don't know if that depends on the kind of decisions that we've made. Maybe we don't always get peace of mind if we make bad decisions. How does Paul's comments on the on the focusing on focusing on the current path apply when thinking about making big life decisions? Do you mm. want to take that chunk at a time, or do you want to jump straight in, Jude, Paul? I think you can probably um, you can probably walk through it. I think I think Paul would probably say something like, from this particular passage, he'd say, "Look, I saw God was opening a door, and so I went through that door. But I went through that door specifically because I was trying to find Titus. I'm guessing because he had a particular ministry intent for Titus. He didn't find him, so he went on to Macedonia." Um. Paul might look back and say, should have stayed at Troas. But he's got a peace of mind which says that as long as I am seeking to make those decisions with a good heart and a clear conscience, I've got the confidence that I can't make a wrong decision. I I can't make a wrong decision. In human terms, it might turn out as though it looks as though it's wrong. I mean, when all's said and done, Paul ends up in a Roman jail and loses his head. That looks like wrong decisions somewhere along the way. But he's saying, I can't make wrong decisions. So so if we are making decisions on a day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year basis with a clear conscience and a good heart, I, I think our big life decisions are nowhere near as big as we think they are. They're nowhere near as big. 
those moments where you realise that you're on a Christian journey when you start making, I think, if I'm jumping in too far ahead, but when you realise that you're making decisions based on those sorts of things, that you're making, yeah, you know, Christ, you're making Christian, Christian yeah. decisions, you know, leaving room for, yeah, you know, a, a variety of outcomes, but then you mm -hmm. still, you, even even with a, an outcome like losing your head, you're still not looking at it like it's been a, you know, a negative thing because you've mm -hmm. Because yeah. your the decisions along the way have been good, have yeah. been good decisions. And yeah. and as I verbalise that now, I think, oh crikey, that, you know, you might be if you're listening in for the first time, you might you might want to have heard something, uh, you know, that would just end up with you having loads of money and popularity and, you know, a contented life. Um, but actually, I don't think I don't think that I don't think the Bible leads us down that path, does it? Mm. No. There's a helpful book um, by Jen Wilkin called In His Image, and she phrases it like this. When we ask, what is God's will for my life? There is a better question, not what, sh what should I do, but who should I be? And the who should I be question is a better question for life than mm. what should I do? Because the who should I be frames the what should I do. That is and a I'll great way. And I think that's it. really, really helpful. Um, yeah. And I think it's really helpful because it, it, it just it, it, com it confirms what we've been talking about all day. When mm. we put who should I be as the first question, like mm. the top of the pyramid, the cascade down just is looks like Christ, looks yes. like Christ, looks yeah. like like Christ. And so you get to, you know, what Sharbs was saying, you know, yet not I, but through Christ, through, through me. And so peace of mind in that situation mm. actually looks like Christ-like yeah. peace of mind. It it doesn't look like a kind of striving, um, at, you know, after something at the expense of other people or, you know, it mm. looks like the way that Christ modelled his life mm. in a servant-hearted way and, um, and peace of mind looks like relying on God, I, I, I think. And that's such an easy thing to talk about yeah. Yeah. here, but yeah. but actually it can be a reality. It can it, be a in, reality. In small measures and at times yeah. in bigger measures than others. Yeah. And there's but times actually, when it becomes more important to us Yeah. because we feel as if we've got nothing of our own resource. And that's when falling back into that becomes our hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, folks, it looks like um, the hour is up. Thank you at home so much for joining us. Paul, would you be all right just to wrap up yeah. with a word of prayer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's pray together. Father, what an incredible example that you have set in the Apostle Paul, but we thank you that his example was that he pointed to the greatest example that this world has ever seen, a life which was perfected and yet bore the wrath of God for the sake of those he would bring to life. We look to Jesus, who is at the head of the procession, and we pray that in the middle of the difficulties and fears and challenges of today, we might be able to say that our hope is in Christ alone. Amen. Amen. See everyone. Stay Take safe. Take care. See you. See you everyone. God bye bless. bye. Bye.